Lord, Christmas is a special time of year for all of us as we remember your birth, Lord, that at the right time you left the, the glory of heaven and you came to this planet and you became one of us. You experienced life as we do. And we thank you that you lived a perfect life and then gave yourself for us an incredible gift. And we, we thank you, Lord. And we pray that for us as believers, this Christmas period would not be a, a silly season uh, or even a time to just let ourselves go and uh, have fun. We pray, Lord, that we would remember the reason for the season and that all of us, our faith would be renewed as we celebrate these great events. We want to pray, Lord, for Claire Brocklebank, and we thank you for her ministry in Turkey. Thank you that she's been able to get this electric scooter. Thank you for her renewed uh, vision, and we pray for your hand to be upon Claire, that you would use her, help her as she mingles with Turks and, and shares the gospel with them as she builds friendships. Encourage her today. We also pray for our church mission team as they travel through Zimbabwe and as they head to Malawi. We pray, Lord, for grace for all the border crossings and that they would have a good time together, Lord, and a, and a fruitful mission in Malawi. We pray that you would receive our, our financial gifts to your work in this place uh, and that you would guide us as leadership in all the decisions we make and how this money is administered. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the stewards are going to wait upon us now, and then it's over to Trevor and uh, the team, Susan and others, who've put together a wonderful program for us. And a little bit later on, Jolene will be sharing the word with us. Thank you. to put something on to join everybody else this morning. I hope it stays on. I'll turn it around just now when I have my back to you. Good morning, everybody. It's really lovely to be here again with you. And um, we have all been singing our hearts out in worship over the last couple of weeks, uh, really in great anticipation of joining with all of you this morning to worship our Lord. I don't believe in chance. I don't know about any of you. I don't believe in chance. So I believe that we're all meant to be here today and um, that the Lord has a concern with every single one of us. Um, we pray for his presence to be here and that he would minister to all of us at the same time that we bless him with our singing, our worship, and open hearts. So just a, a minute of... Um, foreground to the worship. Long ago, about 2,000 years, when King Herod ruled Judea, God sent the angel Gabriel to a young woman who lived in the northern town of Nazareth. The girl's name was Mary, and she was engaged to marry Joseph. The angel Gabriel said to Mary, peace be with you. God has blessed you and is pleased with you. Mary was very surprised by this and wondered what the angel meant. The angel said to her, do not be afraid. God has been very kind to you. You will become pregnant by the Holy Spirit and give birth to a baby boy, and you will call him Jesus. He will be God's own son, and his kingdom will never end. And we read in Isaiah chapter 9, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So as we worship this morning, there may be songs that you're more familiar with than others. Please feel free. We encourage and would like you to sing with us all the way through. And um, I'm going to ask you to stand as we start our first song, but you're welcome to sit whenever you're ready to do so. Won't you stand with us as we worship?
been thinking about promises lately as we, um, as Christmas, are looking at God's promises to us and celebrating them. And I was thinking about what makes God's promises so beautiful. And if you think about it as humans, it is easy to make a promise backwards. I promise you that just happened. I promise you when we had that argument, this is what I meant. And we can assure people of things that have happened already and the promise is really secure. But a while back, I was looking at an advert, and it was for a car, and it was a guaranteed future buyback. And you could get the car, and then I think you could, I'm not sure, I didn't pay too many attention to detail, but I think they would guarantee they could buy it back for the same price. And I thought, well, that's a bold claim. Um, in this, you know, in, in the state that we live in, um, companies could close down, things could happen. Would that really happen if you bashed the car and you took it in a certain way? They're always, they're always strings attached, and actually, in reality, we can't guarantee. The beauty with God's promises is that they come with a guarantee, and we're going to be looking at some because only God can see forward. We cannot always give a guarantee to what we are doing. And when a human being does fulfill a promise, we really celebrate it. If you've seen some of those old school Christmas movies where like a dad says he's going to be back with his family for Christmas and he tries to move heaven and earth and finally gets on the flight, and we all celebrate that he got back for Christmas and he fulfilled his promise. But realistically, as human beings, we, can, we, always, um, we always say, you know, if God wills, um, and that's a good clause to put in because we realize that we are fallible. But when we look at God's promises, his predictions of what Jesus was going to be like, there's some beautiful ones that give us assurance that God is in control. And we're going to be looking at one from Isaiah 42 this morning. And it's a very simple, um, I'm just going to be looking at the first four verses and just looking at, at what Jesus, what God said about what Jesus would be like in his ministry. And when you read these scriptures, it's almost speaking into his approach, what he would be like, how he would come, um, how we could notice him. And I think of it almost like if we had to go to the airport and you're looking for some superb plane that is going to arrive and um, it's going to look in a certain way and maybe it's carrying a loved one and, and it's got the flight number and this is the, you know, the airline that they're going to be using and they've got the branding. You're assured of what to look for and when the plane approaches, you can see it coming and you can celebrate. And this is giving assurance of what Jesus will be like. And the first verse is, here is my servant whom I uphold my chosen one in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nation. And the first thing is, it's just Jesus say, God saying that his spirit, this will be a loved one in whom he delights. And I thought about this, that Jesus came with the love of the Father. 
And if you've ever been in a room, and I've just going to kids' parties, I notice it more and more, you can always tell whose kid it is. Because if a kid um, comes in crying, and there's tears, and they've got bleeding knees, and they've just fallen, the first adult to get up and run and knock everything over along the way, that's the parent. The same thing, if a kid does something appropriate, the first person to blush in the room is actually the parent, not the kid. And we can see because a parent has eyes for their child. And this is the sign, is that Jesus was loved by his father. He was sent as God's son, and he was assured of God's love. And we see this in a beautiful way when Jesus gets baptized, when we see the Trinity all together in one place. Jesus is getting baptized. He's put into the water. The Holy Spirit descends on him. And a voice from heaven says, this is my son whom I love. I am well pleased with him. And so in a way, we see that prediction, that promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The next verse, verse, chapter, verse 2, he will not shout out. Um, he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. And if you look at Jesus' ministry, he came in a very gentle way. He didn't... Um, kind of say, look at me. He didn't put on a huge show. He, in fact, he was the opposite. He came rather quietly. If you think about it, when Jesus was 12 years old, all of a sudden he disappears and everyone is looking for him. And where do they find him? In the temple, debating with people double his age, wiser than him by the world's standards. And his response is, I must be about my father's business. He goes about it gently. He goes quietly to people and he just calls them and says, come follow me. He has numerous one-on-one -on -one conversations that are significant. And it's interesting that, that Jesus doesn't, and sometimes I think as Christians, we feel like we have to sell God to people. We have to put on a good enough you know, um, show and, and invite people to come and hear the gospel. And at Christmas time, we celebrate, and I've been so blessed by this. This is a celebration of who God is. It's not selling God to anyone. We can come together and celebrate his goodness. And it is the same with Jesus. He, he knew who God was. He delighted in who God was, but he did not need to sell it. He did not need to sell the gospel. Verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. And I think in those days, and actually even today, there's that culture of survival of the fittest. Times were very brutal then. Um, if you think about things like health, if you were sick, there was a good chance you may die. If you didn't have food, you might not, you might die. <laughs> um, people were just, I think there was this, this very, and if you look at the story of the Good Samaritan, you could easily walk past someone on a road and see them kind of beaten up and, and, um, and dying, and you could walk past them. That was an option. And I think it shows us how hectic life was when you read about all the wars in the Bible. And so I think that there was maybe a bit of thirst for blood in Jesus' time. And he comes counter to that, and, and he actually comes with gentleness. He comes quietly. He's not going to break the bruised reed. He's not going to snuff out the wick. He's going to come in gently, but he's still going to bring about justice. It's not going to water down his ministry. It's still going to be a powerful one. If you think about the word justice, it's a word we've heard a lot in our country because we're all calling for justice. And with it, we often think of a very aggressive move. We want to see justice. We want to see right things happening. But Jesus' way of bringing justice looked very different, and it ultimately looked the way of him sacrificing his life. And in the last verse, he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teachings, the islands will put their hope. Jesus knew what he was about. He was about his father's business. He wasn't going to falter. He wasn't going to lose focus. He was going to be faithful to the end. And so I think if, if we have verses like that, why did people not recognize Jesus? Why did they not see him coming? And if you think about that time between the Old and New Testament, there was 400 years of silence. Jesus came into a culture that was spiritually dead, a culture where people's hopes and their personal wishes and their personal expectations had risen above a hope for a savior, a need for spiritual satisfaction. Their thirst wasn't for God. It was for their own justice and their own righteousness. They wanted to see right happen for them. And so they, the people that Jesus came for, the very people he was going to, to come and be amongst, could not even see him. They didn't recognize him. They did not see these promises. These were promises that were given that they had access to, but they didn't even recognize him. And, 
Um, I was thinking, you know, it, 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 it's crazy, but actually it's not just the Jewish nation. If you look at people who encountered Jesus one-on-one and then still doubted, if you think about John the Baptist who, who had, you know, his, his mom being a cousin of, of Mary, they would have heard the stories of the spectacular birth. They would have heard the stories. He would have seen Jesus growing up. He was there at the baptism. He was there in Jesus' time. If anyone should have known, it was John the Baptist. And what happens when he's in prison? He sends some some people to go and ask Jesus, are you the one or should we expect another? And Jesus' words, blessed are those who don't fall, fall away on account of me. Because we can all start to doubt Jesus when he doesn't meet our expectations. If you look at Simon Peter, disciple, who was there, who saw Jesus and yet still chooses to deny him. And his disciples too. They ask the craziest of questions to Jesus. And I thought, you know, we know different. If you look at human nature, we know different. When we start, we have all access to God's word. We have the Old and the New Testament, yet we still question Jesus. And maybe we like all those peoples that when our needs get greater, they cloud the vision of who God really is. When we have strong desires, when you start living for ourselves and for our self-satisfaction, we decrease who God is. And there's still good news, though. Maybe we've missed God because we're looking in the wrong places. Maybe we've missed God this year and in our own lives because we've had different expectations of Him, and we've put our own expectations onto God. And that's sometimes when I ask people why they've left the church, why they've given up faith, why they've chosen a different way, and it breaks my heart because I have seen kids in our church growing up and then turning their backs on God. And often it is because God didn't meet their expectations. God wasn't what they expected him to be. And I'm like, I know what we taught you in Sunday school. I knew what you grew up hearing. We didn't tell you that. We told you God is who he says he is. Where did you get this idea that God was anything different? And it's because people start to look. We have that tendency to look to others to satisfy our needs. We have a tendency to even look to the church to answer the questions we have about God instead of going to God. And the minute that that gets disappointed, then, we actually, then our faith starts to crumble. And you know, it's a normal thing. If, if um, we're going through a tough time as a family, I want relief from that. I cannot tell you how many times I've prayed in the last two years that my child will sleep. And she screamed for the last four months, and the pastors can be a witness to this, that it has been a very tough two years, and my character's been worn down. There have been nights where I've just been like, God, let this child sleep, and she hasn't slept. And, and I got disillusioned. I'm like, God, what is the use of praying about this? And so I totally get that sometimes when you're sleep-deprived, you start to go a little bit, you know, it's actually better to be hungry or, or poor because you start to get sick, you start to feel certain things, you start to almost read situations wrong. I'm like, Lord, I need my sanity. Isn't that just even for your kingdom? And um, I've learned some great lessons along the way. And God didn't answer the prayer, and she still cried, and she started sleeping through the, month, through the night two months ago. So we are celebrating. Hallelujah. But I get that, that when we have strong physical needs, when we have strong needs in our homes and in our families, that does become what consumes us. However, we need to take our cue from Jesus, who, when he is faced with the cross, he says, Lord, if possible, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And that needs to be our approach when we come to God. I'm not going to look to people. I'm not going to look to the world. I'm not going to look to myself. I'm not going to have all these expectations. I'm saying, Lord, let your will be done in my life. And the good news is, if you've been like that this year, if you've doubted God, if you've doubted His promises, if you've been in a place where you feel disillusioned and wanting to throw the towel in, this verse is for you, a bruised reed, He will not break, and a smoldering wick, He will not snuff out. God hasn't finished with you, even if you have failed Him. He is God Almighty. Jesus came for you, and that is the truth. And then the next bit of good news is that we have a message of hope for others. And this is where I want to just end and challenge you, is that we've seen people leave our church family. You've probably seen it in your own families. People drift from God. And maybe this is a time where God is calling you to bring about this message. When Jesus left, he said, you will do greater works. We've been tasked with doing this ministry that we see and more. We've been tasked with doing the work of Jesus. We've been tasked to not give up on others. We don't need to do the work of the Holy Spirit. You don't need to convict people of sin. But maybe we need to go back to people 
and start just reminding them of commitments they made and promises they made. Maybe we need to start praying and standing in the gap and interceding for those who have lost their way, for those who, who have lost their faith. Because, you know, there's one reality. If I look forward again, I see that there will come a day where there won't be any more offers. There will come a day when it is too late. And we need to take that seriously. And just like people in Jesus' time didn't always take his word seriously, sometimes as believers, I think we don't take his word seriously, that there will come a day when we will face judgment. And so there needs to be an urgency because we're living in the time where in between and, and we, we see how it's going to be in Revelation. And there's that beautiful verse that Jesus speaks to believers. He says, I stand at the door and knock. I just come gently. I just want to come in. Just let me in. And that is my challenge, that maybe you're here and you've hardened your heart. Or maybe there are people around you that have hardened your heart, their hearts to the work of Jesus. Let's not give up on people. God hasn't given up on us. It is not too late. So let's bring a message of hope and let's remind people of promises. Maybe you need to pick the phone up and, and start pe speaking to people who the church is disappointed, who maybe you even as a believer have let down. Because this is an important message. This is a promise of hope. This is a promise of a Savior. And now it's a task that has also been entrusted to us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. We know that you, your promises are all true. That we can believe them and trust in them, Lord. And today we celebrate your promises. We, pro we celebrate the promise of a Savior we celebrate the fulfillment of promises. We celebrate that you've made a change in our lives, that we can know you and love you and walk with you. And Lord, today we especially just bring people to you who have lost their way, that, that are like the bruised um, reeds and the smoldering wicks who you didn't want to break. You didn't come to demolish and, and wreck people's lives. You came with a message of restoration and hope. And Lord, we thank you. May we be about your business May we continue the work of Jesus. Holy Spirit, empower us. And Lord, for anyone here who is feeling like in this time, in the year that's gone by, that they've failed you, um, that they're just feeling a little bit weary from the battle, Lord, we just pray for a restoration, a beautiful restoration. Lord, may we experience your Holy Spirit. Lord, in the rest of the service, just may our worship be sweet, Lord. We thank you for the privilege of coming together and singing of a risen Savior. Amen.
stand with us now.
some of you just lift your voices before the Lord this morning in, in some prayer. We bless you, Lord.
Father, we thank you that we can celebrate that day and night that you were born. That we can come freely and fall on our knees before you. And call you Father God, Emmanuel. Open our ears to hear the praises around us of your angels, your people. May we proclaim those praises across this nation. you for the blessing that you gave us, for the promises that you gave us, that they are everlasting, that they come with a guarantee, Lord, that you never fail us. What you said stands forever. We want to bless you and thank you, Father. Well, everyone, that's the end of our celebration. I thoroughly enjoyed that. A big thank you to Trevor, our worship director, and Susan, and everybody in the band, and all the musicians, and at the back. Thank you. Well, let's go and enjoy some fellowship in the Connect Cafe, and hopefully we'll see many of you at Schoonstadt tonight. There's some cake as well, ladies and gents. Bless you.